Okay, so we are in the book of Acts, chapter 15. So where have we been uh, in this book of Acts? We have been, uh, uh, we just finished uh, Paul and Barnabas' first missionary trip as they went through through Asia, south, south, what we would call Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. They started churches. They, uh, Paul got, got uh, stoned by the Jewish people. You know, did not, not always uh, the way we plan it, right? You know, we, we think, oh, this is, you know, God's going to bless as we go along. Oh, here, here I am getting stoned. Wait, what's going on? But God blessed that trip, and they established churches among the Gentiles. They were going places that had no Jewish influence at all. Matter of fact, when they get to Lystra, you'll notice if you, in, in chapter 14 that when they got to Lystra, Paul normally went to the synagogue. First, there was no synagogue. Paul went directly, and, and that's going to be where things are going, more towards the Gentiles. They come back to uh, Antioch, and they're sharing how God came to to all of these Gentiles. And they established churches all through that area on their way back. And then we come to chapter 15. And we have a problem. Now remember, the church has been in existence now for uh, probably 12 to 16 years, somewhere in there, depending on how you divide up whose trip went where. But, but they've been established in Jerusalem for a good amount of time. But every one of those Jerusalem believers were what? Jewish. It's going to cause a problem. Because they were Jewish first. And then they came, became believers. So let's grab Acts chapter 15. And let's talk about what happens when you put something in place of grace. All right? Acts chapter 15, and we're going to read the first five verses and see what happened in Antioch. So men came down from Judea and began teaching. Oh, we got a little bit too far, didn't we? Sorry. Wow, how did they get that far? Man, that's a loaded finger. All right. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, they, received, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all that God had done with them. 
But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary for them to be circumc- to circumcise them and direct them to observe the law of Moses. Wow, we got a problem. Are you saved by grace? Or are you saved by works? No, right? But there were these folks who believed, and notice that they were of the sect of the Pharisees, but they believed. You see, there's a lot of people who get saved, genuinely saved by grace, but they want to hold on to the old stuff. You see, these Juda- the Judaism was all about works. It's all is. I mean, the Pharisees had 613 rules to follow. 613. 365 of those were do-nots. One for every day of the year. Don't do this, don't do that. Can anybody relate to that growing up? You had the dirty dozen, you know. I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with any girls that do. You know, what, you know we, could, we grew up sometimes in, in places that said, oh, well, if it's not the King James Version, right? I actually had somebody, somebody a couple weeks ago, uh, they said, let me see your, let me see your Bible. And I, and I preach out and teach out of the New American Standard Version. They grabbed it and they looked at it and said, well, that's not a version, that's a perversion. Now, I didn't get into any, I didn't get into any argument with them because obviously, to, I mean, anyway, to me, was they probably go to a church that said, we preach out of the King James Version and if it was good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me. Right? You know, and, and that's all they've been taught. They've never looked at anything from their own perspective. And that's the way these Jewish people were. You see, they had gotten saved by grace. The Holy Spirit came down and was evidence to them. But they couldn't leave behind their Jewish roots. They still went to the synagogue. They went to the temple. They practiced uh, all the Jewish festivals because it was ingrained in them. And so they thought, well, these poor Gentiles, they've never heard. They come up to Antioch, and if you'll remember the Antioch church, the Antioch church was full of people from all different areas. Jews and Greeks and and people from Cyprus all the way down to Cyrene, and they had come from all over to the Antioch Church. They were one of the most diverse churches at the time. And these guys come up. Now, they were believers who had held on to Judaism, so they come up, and of course, their, their way is right. If you don't get circumcised, you can't be saved. And we do that in many, I mean, you can go to different churches. And well, if you don't have the second blessing, you're not a true believer. 
If you don't do these seven things, you're not a true believer. And it caused a problem. First of all, it was a big thing. This is not, well, we'll agree to disagree. Yeah, but you know, most of you probably have friends in other churches, and there are things that you are going to agree to disagree on. And they're usually peripherals. But when somebody comes up to me and says, well, if you aren't circumcised, you aren't saved, I have a problem. I'm like, it's a big problem. Because they're saying, you got to do something other than what God says you had to do. And, and it caused a problem in that it was a distraction. Did you see what Paul and Barnabas had to do? It says, and when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them. What was Paul and Barnabas there to do? They were preachers. They were teachers. And here they are debating people who, who purported themselves to be, well, we're, we are from the first church. We're from the Jerusalem church. And it was like, wait a second, you're wrong. You may be from the right church, but you got the wrong message. And so it took away from Paul and Barnabas preaching it was a distraction. And so they decided, listen, we're going to settle this once for all. Now remember, they don't have this yet. The New Testament had not been written. Matter of fact, Paul himself is going to write the majority of the New Testament. It's not there. They can't go, oh, well, I want you to look over to Ephesians and we'll settle it right here. They hadn't got it yet. And for them, the authority was in the Jerusalem church. So they decided to send a group down. So let's look at verses 6 through 12 and see what happens when they get there. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. And after they had been much debate... Peter stood up and said, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you put God to the test? By placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way as they also are. And all the people kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So they, they go down there, and I want you to notice 
that there was three parts to this. There was the debate. There was historical testimony by Peter. And then there was eyewitness testimony by Paul and Barnabas. So as they're debating this, the first thing is it's debate. Now, I don't know. Anybody take debate in high school or college? Oh, oh. Go ahead, raise your loud and proud, Gary. Okay, okay. Few of you, right? Debate. And what's the object of debate? Is to win somebody over to your side, right? You're, you're, you take something and, and you have the pros and who's, you know, and it's like, I'm going to give more evidence. And so in this debate, what was going on? You had the Pharisees over here. Oh, no, we need to keep the law. You know, we need to, we need to keep this pure. And, and they, need to, they need to fall in behind us. And on the other side, you had the Gentiles that came down with them from the Antioch church. Not me. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not getting circumcised. I don't need to follow your law. I was saved by grace. The debate went back and forth. And then Peter stood up to give some historical evidence. Now, I've got to tell you, I, Peter, Peter has come a long way. Because even after Peter had preached to the Gentiles, we'll look at that in just a moment, he still had a problem. At one point, Peter uh, visited Paul and Barnabas up in the Antioch church. And in Galatians, in Galatians chapter 2, Paul has this to say about what happened. Uh, chapter 2, verse 11, Galatians 2, 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, Cephas is Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. And when they came, the people from Jerusalem, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in the hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? We are all Jews by nature, not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Peter, even though he was the one who had taken the gospel to the Gentiles, he had seen the Holy Spirit work there, Peter fell back into his old ways. 
he said, oh, I'm going to hang out over here with all my Jewish brothers. You know, the King James guys or, the, or these folks over here because, you know, I have a lot in common with them. I have more in common with them than I do with the Gentiles. And Paul called him on it. Rightly so. But when, even though he had done that, we, we see that when he stands up to preach or to, to give historical testimony, he goes back to an event that occurred in chapter 11. And you'll remember it. Peter, Peter has been called to go to the Gentiles. He's seen the sheet come down, whatever's, whatever's on the sheet, everything's clean now. He goes up to Cornelius, he preaches, and they get saved, the Gentiles get saved, and the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. Then he comes back to Jerusalem and he gives a report in chapter 11. I want you to look at the first three verses. Now the apostles... And the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, look what they say. Those who were circumcised took issue with him saying, You went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them? They weren't even concerned about salvation. You ate with Gentiles? Really? And Peter goes on and through those next verses he explains how he presented, the God said go and he went. And God says preach and he preached. And they got saved and then in verses 15 he says, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us in the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in the way of God? And when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God well then, God has granted Gentiles also repentance that leads to life. Peter's really saying, we've been through this before. We've seen that they are saved by grace. But he switches his words up a little bit when he gives his message here talking about this. In verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 11, he says, But we, we believe that we are saved through grace in the Lord Jesus in the same way they believe. We're saved by grace just like they are saved by grace. You know what he's saying? We need to learn from them. We need to learn from the Gentiles what it means to be saved by grace. And 
Peter sits down, and then it says that Paul and Barnabas got up, and what did Paul and Barnabas say? It says that they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Why'd they do that? Because that was the way God was telling people, they're just like you. You see, every time the gospel would go out, the Holy Spirit would be evidenced. When they finished preaching in Jerusalem and they went to Samaria, who went up to Samaria? Peter and James. And while they were there, the Holy Spirit was poured out. And then when Paul went to the Gentiles, to Cornelius, what happened? The Holy Spirit was poured out. Now Paul and Barnabas go on this journey, right? They're up in Gentile country. And what happened? The lame man got up and walked. Elimaeus was struck blind. People, the demons were cast out. They were relaying what? The Holy Spirit authenticated what we did and the Gentiles received Christ and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so James is the decider. Now remember, this is James, the half-brother of Jesus. He has become the lead pastor, chief elder, whatever you want to call it, at the Jerusalem church. He is a spokesperson. As you go through Acts, you'll see they came back and they reported to James. And so James is going to give the answer. It's kind of like the buck stops here. Somebody has to make a decision and it's going to be James. So in chapter 15, verses 13 through 22, James gives this answer. And after they had stopped speaking, James answered and said, Brethren, listen to me. Simon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. Simon gave the historical testimony. With these words, the prophets agree. James goes to Scripture, Amos chapter 9. After these things, I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which is fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it to the rest of mankind, Gentiles. To the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by his name, says the Lord God who makes these things from long, known from long ago. Scripture said the word would go to the Gentiles and the Gentiles would believe. Verse 19, therefore it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we will write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. For Moses, from ancient generations, in every city, those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. 
Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch and Paul and Barnabas and Judas named Barsabas and Silas, leading men among the brethren, and they sent this letter to them. We're just going to stop there because the letter is just a repeat of what James had just said. James uses scripture to decide the issue. The final authority, right here. If there's ever an argument, go to the scriptures. What does the scripture say? What does the Bible say? James goes to Amos and he says, Amos said that yes, God would would restore the Jewish people, but he would also give the Gentiles the gospel. This goes all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12 where he said, all the nations of the world will be blessed through you, the Jewish people. When did that happen? When Jesus came and opened the gospel to everyone. And so James says, people believe what the Bible says. The Old Testament. Then he gives three conditions. What's going on now? Well, these are not conditions to salvation. He didn't say keep the law. He didn't say get circumcised. But he gave them three things. Because it was, pro- it was a problem that needed to be corrected because the Jews were offended. The Jews were saying, the Gentiles, they don't have to do all the things we do. You ever, you ever, uh, you ever give your parents this argument growing up? Well... Everybody else is doing it. You know how far that went in my house? Yeah, it didn't go out the back door. I mean, it was like, no, just because everybody else is doing it. You're not going to do it. Just because everybody else is. But, but these Jewish people, they were so hung up that, that James in his wisdom says, listen, let's give, them, let's give them a couple things that they need to work on in their conduct. Ooh, you're saved by grace, but you need to walk like you're saved by grace. Anybody know a preacher who says, oh, you're saved by grace, so it doesn't matter how you live. A a lot of folks out there, right? And they were facing that problem because the Gentiles just as the Jews brought their law and their, all of this into their, their new relationship with Christ, the Gentiles did the same way. You see, most of the Gentiles were polytheistic. They believed in many gods. They would go, in their cities, you would have all these different temples that they could go to. And they're like going, well, I'm going to hedge my bets. I'm going to still go. And they were offending the Jewish people. And one of those ways was the dietary laws. You see, they would take take an animal 
to the pagan temple, and they would offer it as a sacrifice, and then they'd run around to the back door where the meat market was, and they would, sell, they would buy that meat. And then the Jewish, they'd invite their Jewish brother over to eat, and they're like saying, where did you get this meat? Well, this was from the temple of Athena butchery. What? They were offending their brothers. So he gives them these two dietary laws. You don't eat anything that's strangled, in other words, anything that still has the blood in it. And you don't buy from the temple. Buy your meat in the market. But he also said, don't be immoral. Don't live in your immorality. Because that was a big problem with the Gentiles. Remember, anybody remember their history of Rome? Rome was a, was a debased culture. Sexual immorality was rampant. And these Gentiles, they even had, in many of the temples, they had temple prostitutes. And so these, these Gentile people were still engaging in that. So he says, he says don't engage in sexual immorality. Change your conduct. Isn't that what God says to us? He says you need to repent. Repent means what? You stop what you're doing and you change. You change your conduct. When Jesus would when Jesus caught the, the woman who was caught in adultery and brought to him and, and they said, let's stone her. And Jesus said, he's who, who's without sin. Throw the first stone. What did he say to her when she left? Go and sin no more. You're not condemned, but change your behavior. And that's what he's saying. They had a problem with it. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul's writing to the Corinthian churches. It's actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind that does not exist even among the Gentiles, the unsaved, that somebody has his father's wife. And you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who has done this in this deed would be removed from your midst. They had people that were committing incest within the church. And they weren't doing anything about it. It had invaded the church. Well, Paul, I believe, writes probably the greatest treatise on salvation by grace in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 Paul, later on in his life, is going to write and say, listen, let me put this to bed for you. If anybody comes to you and says, hey, I think we, I think we need to work for our salvation, you take him to Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived 
in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the spirit and of the mind, were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, I love that. I think I want that on my tombstone. But God, right? But God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, and not of the results of works, so that no one may boast, for we are all his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Amen? amen. You ought to say amen. That's where we live. We're saved by grace and nothing else. It's the mercy of God that looked on it. I mean, God looks down and he sees us in our sin and he says, I've paid the price. I paid it on the cross. There is no work that you can do to make that happen. And a matter of fact, he says, the moment that you got saved... He seated, past tense, he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The moment you got saved, God said, I've reserved your reservation in heaven. You've got a seat on the airplane. Amen. Wave the hanky. I've seated you in heaven. You have a place that's prepared for you. It's got your name on it. Nobody can change it. And God said, you're saved by my grace. You are in heaven as if you were already there. I've reserved your place. And one day by grace, through faith, you're going to make it to heaven and you're going to see the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness you realize, you know that song? What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. Then he'll take me by the hand and lead me to the promised land. What a day glorious day that will be. Amen. Amen. By his grace. But he doesn't stop there, does he? He says, you can't work your way into heaven, but guess what? God's grace has saved you to do the good works afterwards. Change your conduct 
Isn't that what he's saying? Change your conduct. Before you got saved, who was it about? It was about me. What did I want? Did you notice he talked about the lusts that we had before? The nature of man is, it's all about me. And after you get saved, what does he say? For you are his his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, created for good works. Not that you worked for your salvation, but you're created for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Change your direction, change your conduct. Walk like you're one of his children, because you are. Absolutely. You are his child. And he expects you to walk like that. Well, let's finish off this chapter. We're going to, they write the letter. And I want you to see the outcome. They write the letter, they take it back to Antioch, they read it. Before all of the people, I'm not going to read it because it's the same, same thing that James has just said. Look at, the, look at the outcome. So when they were sent away, they went to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. Boy, aren't you guys happy they're not preaching today. And after they spent time there, they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. But it seemed good to Silas to remain there. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. When the matter is settled, it's settled. That's something we need to grab a hold of. We need, when, the mat, when God says you're saved by grace, it stops there. Notice the first thing that happened is they rejoiced. Woo! I'm not stuck under legalism anymore. They rejoiced that, that God had said to them, you don't have to Follow the law. But you do need to change your conduct a little bit. They rejoiced. They were encouraged. It, notice it says that in verse 33, after they spent time there, they were sent away from the brethren in peace. Ah, did you know you can have disagreements with your brothers and sisters in Christ? And in the end... You can hug each other and say, yes, we're at peace. We don't have to argue over this anymore. And what happened with Paul and Barnabas? They went right back in preaching. The distraction was gone. See, folks, there are times when we need to settle on the truth and move forward. We don't need to get stuck arguing the same old things over and over again. Once the matter's settled, 
we move forward. And when it comes to salvation, we don't want to be on the extremes. We don't want to be over here saying, oh, you just say this prayer and everything's good, you're going to heaven and you live any way you want. But we certainly don't want to be over here, you got to do this and do that and do the other thing if you want to get to heaven. Because it's not about what we do. It's about what he did. One time on the cross. You know, every once in a while somebody will come and say, I'm, you know, I, 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 I got saved when I was a kid and, 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 but, and, and I've lived for Christ all these years, but, you know, I'm not sure that I'm saved anymore. And so I usually I take them back and say, well, let's go back and let's look. Did you, did you repent of your sins? Did you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? Do you believe that he was resurrected from the dead? What does the Bible say? Then you're saved. Quit looking back. Quit doubting God. Do you think you have the power to take Jesus off of the cross? Absolutely not. He died for you. Period. He rose again. Period. Leave it there. Change your conduct. Because, you know, that's interesting. What most people, once after we get through that part, I'll sit down with them and I'll say, How's your Bible reading? Well, I, I try. How's your prayer life? Well, I got in a jam the other day and I asked God to bail me out. How's your fellowship? Are you fellowshipping with others? Well, I've been kind of busy. Are you giving of yourself to others? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to use your gift? Well, you know what to do to fix this. All you have to do is do it. It has nothing to do with your salvation. It has everything to do with your conduct. Well, we're going to come to communion. And as we come to communion, I want you to, I want you to think about this thing called grace. I am saved by grace. Nothing else. You can't add to it. You can't take it away from it. See, God did it once for all. We're saved by what he did on the cross. That's why communion reminds us about some, you know, some denomination or some churches, they'll do communion once a quarter or once a year. I'm kind of glad we do it once a week. Because you know what it does? Every week, when I come in and I come to communion, I stand face to face with the cross. 
And for me, I, I go back in my mind. There's a song called, When He Was on the Cross, I Was on His Mind. And that's where I go. I stand there. In all of my sin, and I look at my Savior. His face beaten beyond recognition, the crown of thorns on his head. Literally, his body is ravished by the scourge. Sweat and blood have ran down all over his body and puddled at the foot of the cross. And the words that echo through my mind is, Father, forgive Ben, for he doesn't know what he did. And when I take the elements, this is my body, which is broken for you. I remember the sacrifice that my Savior made on the cross. The agony he suffered for my sins. And then I take the cup and I remember that he said, my blood which is shed for the forgiveness of sin. Take and drink. That his blood washed away all of my sin. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. 